Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Carisoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. My guest is Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Bill, welcome to the program. Jason, thank you for having me. Before we get started, let me set a little context for our discussion. Today, we're going to talk about the current state of cloud computing and where it's heading in light of the budget and quickly emerging technologies like software-defined networking. Federal spending on cloud computing services is expected to see a small drop this year, but return to significant growth between 2018 and 2021. Research firm IDC Government Insights predicts the federal market for public cloud services will almost double to more than $1.8 billion over the next four years. Hybrid, community, and private cloud also will see growth with total cloud spending across the entire government expected to reach more than $3.2 billion by 2021. Now, this move to the cloud becomes more important as budgets tighten, as we saw with the White House's fiscal 2018 budget request to Congress. Many agencies would see double-digit reductions in discretionary spending, meaning moving off costly legacy systems becomes more important than ever. In many ways, agencies are have the perfect storm of opportunity, a maturing technology infrastructure in the cloud and software-defined networking, a growing trust in these technologies, and the continued budget imperative to take advantage of real savings and advanced capabilities that comes from these technologies. So, Bill, let's turn to you. Bill Rowan is the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Let's just start at the beginning. Cloud computing, it's been seven, eight years since the, the Cloud First strategy was, was first announced. Where are we today with the, with the cloud? Well, Jason, I think that agencies on the whole have made uh, great strides. I think we really have two different phenomena happening. Number one, we have those agencies that have made a determination to try to move as much of their legacy systems that they possibly can out to some sort of public cloud offering. For the, in government, for the most part, government cloud offerings, so that are meeting the various FedRAMP certifications. On the other hand, we also have seen an increase in spend as agencies are determined to build their own private clouds. Again, trying to gain the same type of agility and elasticity they can see in the public environment, but repurposing the assets that are already capitalized and that they already own. I think both organizations, both camps, if you will, have made great progress, but the reality is we've probably done the easy stuff so far, and the next stuff is really going to be the, the more complex solutions. And that's a great point, because one of the things that I've heard from research analysts like IDC Government Insights is that that's why they expect to dip in 2017, because the easy stuff is done, and the harder stuff will take a little bit longer to get going. Are you starting to see that? Is VMware starting to see some of their clients? Yes, but let's let's we have to figure out how to get from point A to point D now instead of just point A to point B. This is something we saw come about really over the past last 10 years also that we started seeing customers virtualizing their compute layer servers. You do the easy stuff first. And then at some point in time, you hit that inflection point where you really need to start to look at the business processes within the organization and the agency to ensure those are aligned to the move of what you're trying to get from a infrastructure as a service. The secondary part of that is we start to get into application dependencies. It's easy to move one app, but when you start to move two or three and they have dependencies with other applications that are not moving or not planned to move, now all of a sudden we've raised the level of complexity. And I think that the other thing too we're finding is Agencies have learned considerably more now about how to utilize cloud, where it takes them in their future. And as a result, they now need to pause and say, OK, so what's we've kind of finished phase one before we go to phase two or three. Let's take a pause, see what we've accomplished. What could we do better in the next phases? 
I think it's actually the right thing to do, and it's probably really what we're seeing in the enterprise space outside of government at the same time. I think that's a good way to put it. Let's take a small pause, figure out what's working, what's not. One of the things that gets a lot of criticism but seems to be working is FedRAMP. You mentioned that. That's the uh, Federal Risk Authorization Management Program mm-hmm. for to say, hey, this cloud services meet certain level minimum set of standards for security. Are you seeing agencies, obviously, they need to buy FedRAMP approved or, or authorized services? Where does that stand? Is is FedRAMP getting better? Do you see some changes there? As a whole, FedRAMP has made tremendous progress, at least in the time of evaluating various solutions. You know, if you go back a couple of years ago, there were a handful of offerings, FedRAMP offerings. Now we have many more in the marketplace. You see uh, announcements on a regular basis from various manufacturers. They have a new offering that's in their FedRAMP cloud. The other thing, too, that's happening is agencies are doing a much better job of looking at their own applications and determining what level of FedRAMP certification they really need. I think if you asked everybody in the beginning, they want the highest level of certification. The reality is that may not be cost feasible and may actually not be practical. And so agencies are learning at the same time the FedRAMP process has matured more. And so we're getting new offerings through that in a a much quicker fashion than before. It's interesting you bring up the high, medium, and low. A lot of agencies, you know, you're right. I think they thought, well, why is there no high baseline? There's just only the, the, the medium and the low. And now we have a high baseline and agencies are like, well, I'm not sure I need that as much. Is VMware looking at the high baseline at all? Or most of your customers are still looking at the medium and low side? Well, it's an interesting mix. So we have customers that are looking at the high offerings, and those could be offerings that are actually infrastructure as a service offerings that may be inside the fence line of a particular agency and that are being offered as a service. And there are a number of those out there. There's also agencies that are saying, you know, as we've learned more about cloud and develop more of our strategy for cloud, we're looking at much more of a hybrid solution. So we may be putting some of those applications out there that don't need the high certification, reduce our cost from that from an infrastructure as a service or software as a service level, and then keep some of the stuff in-house, again, in that hybrid environment that we can control better ourselves. And again, as they've built this private cloud environment out, it really isn't the best of both worlds, that real hybrid approach. And as you pointed out, what we're seeing is the spending on high, on cloud overall to include hybrid is going to go up significantly over the next couple of years. And I think that's reflective of agency strategies. Let's talk a little bit more specifically about VMware and your role in this cloud community. As you mentioned about maybe a decade ago, VMware was big into virtualization. Everything was virtualization, and that was the low-hanging fruit. Where are we now? What is VMware starting to see, and what, what kind of services are you guys providing now that's, if you will, beyond virtualization, right? It's really interesting, and it, it kind of falls along uh, really two or three different parameters. We still see agencies continuing to virtualize their internal infrastructure. If you look at most organizations on the aggregate, they're about 45% of the way done. I think then you see the other camps that are saying, hey, I've got this new application, new offering, and I'm going to look to use that as a, from a cloud service provider. In fact, today... Most of VMware's deployments of our mobility uh, solution, our mobile device management solution, are done from a FedRAMP cloud provider. They're not done on on-prem deployment, which tells me that agencies are now really understanding how to harness the power from both particular camps. I think going forth, you, we've seen some announcements, there's been some announcements in the marketplace about some partnering solutions we're doing with players like Amazon and with IBM. And that, again, is to say that most agencies are not going to have a cloud provider. They're 
going to have multiple cloud providers. And we believe these solutions will allow these, these agencies to benefit from the investments they've made in VMware in their private environment, but also leverage those investments in a public cloud environment as well. It's interesting that you said only about 45% on aggregate have their virtualized. Is there a reason why it's such a low number? I would have thought that it was maybe higher. Is it, is it just comp complexity or what? It's really, again, it falls on a couple different parameters. One is complexity. Two is legacy applications. Some of these applications that are out there are very, very old and are not really simplistic to move to the cloud environment. The problem with reading a lot of the trade rags that talk about the advantages of cloud, we're talking about much more greenfield than maybe applications that were written for, whether it's the Department of Defense, the Department of Agriculture, Social Security Administration, 15, 20 years ago. And so the complexity and the interdependencies of those applications are much more complex. And then the third component becomes agencies are still trying to evaluate how am I comfortable with the security that I'm going to get? Because the security models also continue to evolve over a period of time. So I would tell you, I think that they've, they've hit the easy stuff. They now understand the complex stuff a lot more. And I think what it's going to lead us to is actually ultimately a bigger hybrid environment across all government. And, and candidly, we're seeing the same thing at the state and local level as well. It's interesting you bring up the state and local level because... For once, the federal government is not behind everyone. They're, they're at least in front of the state and local governments. Are you starting to see from a federal perspective when you talk about the move to hybrid, as you talked about earlier, what can be low or medium will put in, in this public cloud or this government-only public cloud? Mm -hmm. But what we feel like we have to keep our arms around, they're keeping it in an on-prem solution, but they can kind of, there's a little bit of back and forth. Absolutely. that That's the biggest trend you're seeing? I think that is the single biggest trend we're seeing. I think that agencies have learned they can have the best of both worlds. And eventually what we believe will happen over a period of time is agencies will have multiple cloud providers and that they will then be have ultimately in the driver's seat because they'll be able to look at an application and say, you know what, this application could be with this partner this year and next year I can simply move it over to another cloud provider and take the cost benefit that comes potentially with those moves. I think it really is the way if you look at where most of the Fortune 500 are in terms of using cloud, the government really mirrors pretty well where they are. And I think that the enterprise of those Fortune 500 are doing the exact same sort of thing the government's looking to do. So we're not behind. We're probably right in line with where people are. Now you bring in some interesting things like portability, ownership of data, SLAs. We could go down a path of contracting, talk a little bit. Give me a sense. Are you guys seeing that agencies are getting better of dealing with this, these, these issues that seem like, you know, five, seven, 10 years ago, they were like, oh, I don't know how we're going to deal with the SLAs and how are we going to write the good SLA to make sure we own our own data? Candidly, that's probably still lagging a little bit. I think that, you know, in this city, we've been talking about acquisition reform for much longer than we've been talking about a cloud first policy. So I, I would tell you that there's a lot of that still has to catch up. The reality is, though, that the government now has a wide variety of vehicles, whether those are GSA vehicles or government-wide uh, GWAC contract activities, that they can get these types of services for. I think the next level, when you start to look at SLA management and you start to look at you know, RPO and RTO, uh, you know, when we have a failure, we noticed most recently the issue that happened with, uh, with Amazon, the S3 solution. Those pieces will continue to evolve. But let's be very frank, agencies internal in their own data centers, they have outages from time to time. People make mistakes. I think that's why probably one of the biggest driver we're seeing, whether it's private, public, or hybrid, is greater level of automation. The more we can automate and remove the self-inflicted wounds that can be created, the better off we'll be. And I think the better we'll see that return on investment longer term. 
automation here a lot about cybersecurity. That's the one thing I, when I talk to chief information officers across the government, it's automation, automation, automation. It's interesting you're bringing it up for cloud as well. Mm -hmm. Is automation, as you said, the way also that the, the legacy side can reduce some of that complexity because if you're automating some of the, the load balancing or if you're automating some of the compute and storage needs, that, that can kind of take some of the pressure off those legacy systems. Yeah, I, I what, think it's it's interesting. If you look at, there's a tremendous amount of, always has been a tremendous amount of heavy lifting. Look at networking as an example. While there's a tremendous amount of automation that can happen inside of, a, whether it's a layer two or a layer three switching and routing, the ability still to have to redefine what the network looks like, how things are going to be patched, et cetera, it's still a very manual process and still has a lot of various organizations uh, and people inside of an organization who have a step in that process. Greater automation, we think, will lead to better cybersecurity, better hygiene in the, in the long run. So it's not just about uptime. It's not just about load balancing. It's also about how do we build a more thorough and more cohesive security strategy across the board. We think automation can add a tremendous amount to it. If you look at today when there is a particular attack, how can we automate the process by isolating that attack, ensuring it's not infecting other systems, and remediate and get us back to a solid state as quickly as possible? We will not be able to do that with just a lot of people. We have to add automation to that process. Bill, this is fascinating. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. My guest today is Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. VMware has the solutions and expertise decision makers need to modernize government IT, streamlining operations, and strengthening cybersecurity across infrastructure, clouds, apps, and endpoints. With VMware, agencies are accelerating digital transformation and achieving mission objectives by modernizing data centers, integrating clouds, empowering digital workspaces, and transforming security. Harness the resources you need to power smarter government and realize what's possible with VMware at kerasoft.com innovation VMware. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft and its partners. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search keyword innovation. Welcome back. You're listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jason Miller. My guest today is Bill Rowan, Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. Now, Bill, we spent the first part of the show talking about cloud and, and where the government is moving to and has come from with cloud, but a big piece of cloud, and you, you mentioned this briefly in, in the first part of our conversation, is the mobility factor. And I think as agencies move to deliver services differently, as federal employees, as contractors, as the, the citizens of the United States want services in a different way. They want it more mobile. And, and I think the cloud opens the door for more mobility, more mobile services. So let's just start there. What are you seeing from, from mobility as it relates back to cloud virtualization and, and the like? We're finding really it's been a it's been a huge shift over the last couple of years. And I think there's been a number of events that have really led to that shift. I think one of the first pieces of the shift we're seeing is that agencies are figuring out a way to let their workforce be more mobile, whether that's a combination of tablets or actually smartphone devices. And then the secondary piece that comes along is they've also understood that they can actually look at the applications and determine based upon the platform 
that the worker is coming in on, what applications he or she should have access to. So as an example, if I'm at my desktop, I may have one set of applications. If I'm on a tablet, another subset of applications. And if I'm on a smartphone out and about over the weekend, maybe yet a third subset. So we're actually layering security in while also addressing the mobile mobility of the actual employee. That is leading to a better security model internally, but also leading to much more workforce that's a lot more productive when they're not sitting at their desk. I think that's interesting when you talk about where they can have access and when the desktop versus the tablet versus the smartphone. The cloud allows that type of access controls to come into play, meaning if you're going in through an IP address that's well known, meaning that's from the agency versus an IP address that's on your phone. Imagine there's, there's again, going back to the automation piece, the cloud or, or the, the system will know that. Absolutely. In fact, most people can relate to it. If you do any type of home banking and you're typically coming in from your house, it understands your IP address. Now, if you're on vacation and you happen to be coming in from a hotel room in some other part of the country, the system automatically comes back and says, well, wait a second, answer a couple security questions because you're coming from a direction I haven't typically seen you come before. And so we can do the exact same sort of thing. I think the, the important part is whether that is being served, served up by a public cloud or whether that's being served supported out of a private cloud environment within an agency, we can add those same type of security parameters across the board. And I think that's what agencies are understanding. The other impact this comes about is as agencies look to refresh their PCs within their organization, there's ways for them to take advantage of whether that's virtual desktop or maybe more of my users actually just now want to use a tablet. There are ways we can help drive down cost on the long term, which will also help reduce our licensing needs over a period of time. There's a multiple layer effect of this that can impact on savings while at the same time adding to productivity. The VDI piece that you bring up, virtual desktop, we heard a lot about it kind of in the 2012, 2013 timeframe. I haven't heard a lot about it recently. Are you guys getting a sense that agencies are starting to pull away from VDI or they've implemented VDI so they're done with it so they don't talk about it? I think it's really twofolded. There are agencies that have made big, huge steps into VDI. There are agencies that now, most agencies, in fact, have a combination of virtual desktop users and still physical desktop users. I think all agencies are trying to make the determinations on an ongoing basis. What applications, what systems do I need? But one of the interesting aspects that's happening as more and more customers are moving, for example, to an Office 365 solution set to deliver their email, their, their productivity suite inside their employees, that is opening up the door for additional VDI opportunities because the application is no longer being hosted there on the desktop or being hosted on a server. It's being hosted as a service. So the complexity and the level of horsepower, i.e. the cost of that desktop, can be far less because I'm just getting it through a network connection now. I don't have to have a lot of stuff resident on my desktop. I remember talking about VDI and it was all about this idea of security as well. You could patch once instead of patching each separate machine. But then all of a sudden, I guess I haven't really thought about it, but I don't hear CIOs talking about it as much anymore. And I think that's interesting. The, the other mobile piece of this, I think, is the services to citizen side. When you put something in the cloud and you know you as a citizen can access it again from your home, from your beach house, from wherever, instead of having to call up or go to a social security office, that's the other benefit they're starting to move toward as well. Absolutely. And, and the impact, that self-service type of capability again, whether it's private or public, has really been a, a huge productivity input increase 
on not just the government workforce, that being able to have a lot of those things automated, but also the citizen feels like I'm getting the answers I need. I'm getting them on my time. Not maybe I couldn't call during business hours because I'm at work. I can just log on and get the information that I need. In fact, interestingly enough, I was I was helping my daughter with her taxes the other day. And the ability to log on and look at the same forms that she's looking at and being able to walk her through that, whereas 15 years ago, we were looking at printed pages and saying, okay, look at this line and tell me what this says. And so while those may seem very trivial, the reality is those types of productivity increases are happening across all the agencies, and which is going to ultimately lead to a much more satisfied community service, but also a decreased cost on the agency's part. At the same time, then we have to talk about application and the application virtualization, but also where the application layer sits, both in the cloud, from a mobile perspective, where does the application fit in? Because that's really the key here. It's not the backend system, <clears throat> it's, and, and it's the data and application. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is where agencies, we talked about this evolution that, that agencies had in the beginning of cloud and the concerns over where do I put the application and what we're finding more and more is companies are saying, listen, the only way I'm going to sell the application is going to be as a service. You can have access, keep your own data, but I'm going to support this application as a service model. We certainly see that with Microsoft in something like Office 365. More and more agencies are seeing the benefit of paying by the user in an Office 365 environment than bringing that application in-house. Many corporations, ours included, have moved to a similar model. But the agencies are saying there's, there isn't any one place the application has to live, but I can help secure it regardless of whether I want to have it on-prem or get it as a service. And if I get it as a service, I've now made it a lot more simplistic for my agency's employees to get access to that application when they're not in the office, maybe when they're at home or on business travel, TDY, what have you. You bring up Office 365, and it's a good example. What about the legacy applications? Because we've talked a little bit about in the beginning of our conversation about where that there's this kind of push and pull between for cloud with the legacy side. If I have an application, if I'm social security and I have an application that I've been using for 30 or 40 years, it's just critical to my mission. How do I deal with that with the cloud and, and virtualization and, and the like? That's one of the top most complex issues that are out there. In fact, if you look at the the spend by the federal government, it's not the easy applications. It's a lot of these legacy ones that are going to require a lot of heavy lifting and a lot of recoding. I think that the positive wrap that cloud gets is that if I'm creating a brand new application from the very beginning, not building that in some sort of cloud environment, again, private, public, or hybrid would be a travesty. And But we don't see that happening. We see those applications being built with a cloud solution in mind. But the real challenge is a lot of those legacy applications because, number one, there's not a lot of people that understand the programming languages that some of these applications are really written in. And those are what are the cost drivers inside of an agency that is making it very complex to see the savings that cloud can deliver because the reality is it's going to take a long time to modernize some of those applications. We've been talking a lot about cloud and mobility. The other piece of this is software-defined networking. And this is an emerging technology that I think agencies, the more I talk to CIOs, they start to bring this up. DOD, as an example, has brought this up several times during conversations recently. Where does that concept, this approach, software-defined networking, fit in in this broader discussion we're having? Well, it, it is a, it's a huge piece because it gives us a chance. If you look at most networks out there today, they were designed in the same similar architecture as they have been since those networks were put in place. It's a north-south type environment. And what we find today is that there are 
there are new ways to accomplish it. If you think about this inside of an organization, in the way in a in an office environment like the Pentagon, as an example, or any other agency, if depending upon how that network was architected, you have a lot of people communicating that are overloading aspects of the network that don't have to. At the same time, th- there's a chance to add a new security model. We talked earlier about the the trust in technology. Today, on a regular basis, we still find some of the biggest insider threats are inside. Uh, earlier this year, we 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 saw that, or last year, I should say, uh, the ODNI testified that we needed to construct our networks similar to the way we built submarines. We need to compartmentalize them so that if there is a breach, we can close off that breach and not take the entire network down. And that's really what a lot of software-defined networking is gathering towards. How do we help take those legacy networks that have been deployed and use software to create that compartmentalization such that if there should be a breach, we can watch the breach. We maybe put it in a honeypot to evaluate what's the risk here. And at the same time, we build our policies and our processes to attack that type of threat going forth. We think that software-defined networking is, is going to become just everyday type environment five to 10 years from now, as people would think about cloud today. I would obviously look at cloud today if I was building a new application stack out. People several years from now will say, well, absolutely positively we do software-defined networking if I'm building out an infrastructure. And the one thing about software-defined networking is it's the technology in, in and above itself is is an interesting and emerging technology has a ton of potential and I guess real life uses today. But at the same time, it's also the people piece I think that's key. It's not just the technology. You know, absolutely. I mean, again, so if you go back to our discussion around automation, how do I ensure that I don't create that self-inflicted wound in my network? By automation, and in part with software-defined networking, I can remove that potential threat. At the same time, if I look at what's going on on a regular basis about scaling up or scaling down, I take advantage of it. I can define and extend my network from my on-prem workloads to my public cloud workloads. I can define and extend to maybe that mobile platform. Again, it gives me all kinds of flexibility that I might not have had before, and I can extend it not just what I consider that core data center, but it could be my hybrid environment of that public cloud provider. It could be how do I extend it to help manage the mobile devices that my employees are using. So there's all kinds of potential use cases that come about. We think that over the course of time, the the other beauty of this is we're not defined to one particular hardware platform. Most of these software solutions that are coming out today around software-defined networking, we don't care if the environment is Cisco, Brocade, Juniper. It can be on any one of those platforms. So, again, investment durability to the federal government, for that matter, the Fortune 5000 is there because I can start to use everybody's technology together and really, truly build out that heterogeneous environment. Bill, we're almost out of time. This has been a great conversation. I'm going to, I'm going to throw at you the elephant in the room question, <laughs> budget. Now, we know that the White House has uh, released its 2018 budget request. We'll see more of it coming in, in the May timeframe. As agencies are, are looking at their potential cuts in discretionary funding, as they're looking at potential increases in discretionary funding, from your perspective, cloud virtualization, software-defined networking, how does all of this kind of fit into that budget environment that just is going to be tight all, all the way around? It's going to be very tight, and some agencies are going to probably see a hit. Other agencies are probably going to see a plus. And by the way, that's probably been no different than any change in administration we've seen over the last 20-plus years that I've been associated in this industry. I think that what you will find is those agencies that can do an 
do more with less, the more they can automate, the more they can show flexibility to those cloud providers, the more flexibility they can show to those mobile platforms, and a greater investment durability they get out of their current investments, those are the agencies ultimately that are going to win. I have no doubt that there are going to be some really difficult conversations, and there's going to be projects that are not going to be able to get started or finished when they might want to because of budget issues. I think that the government has made a huge amount of steps forward in the last couple of years, Vitara being one of them. How do we scorecard how these agencies are doing? And we've seen that over the past, just the short period of time that Vitara's been in place, we've seen agencies get improvement marks. They're doing better. If we can continue down that path, budget issues or otherwise, we'll still be able to deliver services to our citizens they're looking for. Bill, great conversation. Unfortunately, we are out of time. I'd like to thank my guest, Bill Rowan, the Vice President of Federal Sales for VMware. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsradio.com, keyword innovation.